Hello, my loves, and welcome to another episode of Cocktail Conversations. I'm your host, Shannon, and uh, let's just dive on in. We've got a lot we're going to cover today, a lot that I just want to discuss. First of all, congratulations are in order to our good friend slash person that I critique all the time, Tyler Perry. Uh, It was just announced, I guess, according to Forbes, that he's officially a billionaire, uh, which is actually super impressive for those of us who remember his backstory, sleeping in the car, having plays that he spent more money on than ever making. He really did come from the bottom, right? And um, I've been seeing people have conversations, and granted, they have these conversations every time a new billionaire comes out. It's not just because uh, Tyler Perry is black, but there's always a conversation of, can you ethically become a billionaire? Most of the time, the idea is, if you're making this much money, you're not paying people right. Are you sure you're doing this the right way? Um, coupled that with his, he's got a new show coming out called Bruh, B-R-U-H, Bruh. And they filmed 19 episodes in four days. So now my question is not necessarily, is he not paying people right? But are the practices that he does naturally rushing through his production, uh, only writing things by himself, not hiring other writers, not having enough people on a, you know, there's typically more people to vet your work on a set. Most TV shows have writer's rooms. There's a whole room of people, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth and discussing it and saying if things are good or bad or what we should do. You know, Tyler Perry does not utilize those things. He will write everything himself overnight. So I think so I, I don't necessarily think he became a billionaire in an unethical, I'm not paying people way. He's just not hiring people in general. <laughs> and what makes it, it, and I think that's also why so many of us have issues with the work that he puts out. It's like, if you had like three more people in the room with you to go, maybe she shouldn't wear her wig while she showers. Or, you know, this right here, I get what you're doing. Maybe we should try, you know, just another person to bounce ideas off of. Would he have been a billionaire if he were paying four or five other people to write with him? I don't know. Um, I just think it would improve the quality of his work if he filmed for maybe like seven days instead of four. Or like like a full series of shows, 19 episodes of a show. Most of the ones we see on Netflix are what, 13? And they take like months and months and months to do and to do well. So for him to film 19 episodes of a show in th- in four days, there's no second takes. There's no, you know, let's do that scene again from a different angle. There's no, let me scout this location. There's just, um, it's almost like he's he's doing it like a taped play, I guess. Um, but that's also not necessary uh, quality, darlings. So like I said, I, I don't necessarily think he's doing things in a way that is uh, exploiting people necessarily, which is usually the issue with a lot of people who are billionaires. I just think the way he typically works is cheap. <laughs> and, and that helps. And then also he has Tyler Perry Studios, which is like a tiny city in Atlanta, and a lot of people are utilizing it. I think parts of Black Panther were filmed there. Parts of Bad Boys 3 were filmed there. Big movies are going to Atlanta and using his studio. So that's also probably added to his wealth. 
So, I mean, kudos to Tyler financially in that way, but spend a little bit more coin on actually filming these shows from multiple angles, having someone review your script, just taking time to think about your product. And I get it. Like he is doing what works for him and there's an audience for it. Anybody who has watched uh, Black AF on Netflix, there is one episode for me that made the entire show worth watching. And that was when Tyler Perry was on there and he explained I am making art the way I want to. I'm not concerned about the mainstream gaze. I'm not concerned about this perspective of working through a lens of traditionally white male creatives that a lot of us see as the standard for filmmaking and for television making. I'm doing what I want and I'm doing it for the audience that wants it. And he's 100% right. Like our aunties, our grandmas, all there are people who eat up whatever Tyler Perry does. So I'm not saying that to even like shade it because the stuff's funny sometimes. I'm not gonna, can I tell you a secret? That first Medea Halloween, I laughed a lot. Don't judge me. Crap was funny. Boo, Medea Halloween. <laughs> it was a good time. So I get it. Like, what's funny is funny. What people like is, you know, whatever. And Tyler Perry is providing that. But I just want him to take a little bit more time so we don't all get to hate watch everything he does. I just feel like if he just paused for a second, rewatched it three times, instead of one, took 12 shots instead of two, maybe the quality of the work would improve so that more of us would not be so frustrated. Again, kudos to Tyler Perry for, 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 for being super rich, I guess. <laughs> it's been a slow news week and I'm thankful for it. I mean, it's been mostly like Summer Walker saying dumb stuff about child rearing then getting dumped. Um, so let's talk about some TV stuff. Uh, whenever I take a break from my obsession with Lovecraft Country, and if you're not watching Lovecraft Country, I suggest you watch it. I'm not really a true sci-fi girl. Like I don't know everything, but it is an excellent show. And there are so many Easter eggs about black culture and black history. And every episode just blows my mind in terms of how richly layered it is. And Journey Smollett is just acting her whole face off. It's, that's my suggestion, guys. Watch Lovecraft Country. Don't watch it with your kids because it's scary boots, though. And, you know, if you are super saved, keep in mind, this is sci-fi. This is fantasy. You don't need to, you know, feel some kind of way about it. It's just good TV. It's just, it's, it's, fanciful but it is excellent television and it's set in the 1950s so you know there's parts of it in which you know I'm sitting there watching and I'm like which is safer running towards the the monsters or the racist people that are (laughs) there and there are times that the monsters feel safer for me so but it's an excellent show that's my that's my good suggestion I also want to talk about the show Black Love Now, for those of you who are uninitiated, Black Love is like a docu-series on the Oprah Network. It's aired through the Oprah Network, but it was originally a documentary. A couple uh, was doing various interviews with various Black couples. And in the past, there have been people like Viola Davis and her husband. Uh, Tamia and Grant Hill were on an episode. Uh, I'm trying to think of other famous people. Terry Crews and his wife are there. Um, but so there's, there's been a number of known and notable black couples on the show. 
Um, and I watched it. I watch it pretty consistently. And I would say the first two seasons, I think we're on season four or five, probably five. The first two seasons were not alarming for me. It was people sharing how they met, uh, the progression of their relationships when they got married or how they got married or how they fell in love. And then maybe they talk about a challenge or a hardship they faced. I remember one couple talked in depth about when one of their children passed away and how they had to navigate that. Um, another couple talked about their, you know, one of their had mental health struggles and them navigating that. So real life stories of couples facing things and, and holding on together. Somewhere around season three is when I started, I feel like they ran out of healthy couples. Not, not everyone. But they started including some couples that were just like, well, they're together, so I guess they count as black love. But this is troublesome. <laughs> I started seeing patterns emerge. And so this week, in particular, the newest season has debuted. And the first episode of the season came out. And I watched it before I saw the critiques. As I'm watching it, there's a First of all, one of the things that I've noticed in the last few seasons is that it is almost always the same setup of very light-skinned, maybe mixed woman, brown-skinned, noticeably black husband. So a lot of people are already like, this feels like we're honoring colorism. And so it's one of those questions of, is this because our culture in general honors colorism and these are just the majority of these marriages? Or are the show's producers not thinking hey, every couple we have shouldn't be this setup. Um, like they have, uh, Deborah Joy Winans is on this episode um, as well. She's browner skinned, her husband is fair. So maybe they're trying to think, but the majority of the couples are lighter skinned woman, um, darker skinned man. So a lot of people have already sort of noticed that. Like, hmm. They also include LGBT couples, but it tends to just be one per season, I noticed. Um, so there was a, a lesbian couple featured in, in the commercial and in the first episode, but I'd be surprised if we see another same-sex couple. So those are other things that people are thinking, well, doggone, at season five, you think you can include more than just one gay couple. Here's where my eyes start getting rolly, right? So I'm watching it with my husband. They get to this one couple and already as they're talking about their relationship, both me and Marcel kind of look at each other like, what are these two on? Couple talks about when they met. And mind you, this was like, the pictures look like they're from the late 90s. So th they've been together a while, okay? This woman tells us that she met him. He initially had got, given his number to her sister or something like that. And she confronted him about it. And then he was like, well, I like you and not your sister. So they met. She decided to give their love a chance, left her children with their father, her ex-husband, moved like two states over for him. He had made no change, no sacrifice. And he made what cleared a drawer out for her clothing, but she left her home, the only home she knew, and her children for this man. She gets there and gets her children there eventually and he's like well I need to go pursue my musical dreams and if I don't I'll never be happy so he was ready to break up with her after she had completely uprooted her life 
So already I'm looking at it like, and Marcel's like, what kind of person uproots their whole life? Why didn't they just date for a while? See, this is, see how you're logical? So already I'm eye rolling. When they broke up, she tells this story like it's adorable and it makes sense. She went and got his name tattooed on her behind. And she said when her friends questioned it, she basically said, and I'm paraphrasing it maybe a little nicer because I want to give her the dignity she doesn't seem to want for herself. She says that basically I belong to him and anyone who sees it will know that if he shows back up, if he changes his mind, if he wants to be with me again, I'm going to go be with him. I'm always going to be his. So she shows it to him. And that's, I guess, him saying, well, we got to work this out. Like she literally ooh, sacrificed her whole body by putting his name on her behind as if it were a made in China sticker on a cheap blanket. And I'm just like, is this what we're telling? Is this, I don't even know if we're telling it. I mean, it's, it's her life and it's what she did. But it just made me kind of tragically sad in the sense of like, oh man, this is like sacrificial torture porn, like love torture porn in some ways. Like it is story after story of a woman lately, you know, like I said, seasons one and two, not, not, not like this, but I've noticed we are getting episode after episode after episode of like woman suffers, woman changes everything about herself woman willing to bend over backwards, man smiles smugly and says, I guess we'll work through it. Like, and then she, he's like, and then we moved to San Diego, which was better for everybody. Again, you moved to San Diego because you could do more with your music there. Southern California is probably a better area for you to work on your jazz music than it was wherever the crap in, I feel like he was in like Arizona or Nevada or somewhere. So you still can't say you sacrificed for her. What you did was you saw a lateral move that improved you and happened to benefit her. It's just, I just really wish that the makers of the show would hear some of the critique and and put it to heart because when it first started, it wasn't, it wasn't so gross. Everything's not love. I mean... Last season was bad enough when they had that guy, what's his name, Michael something. He's like a producer, director, and him and his wife, it was just obvious that he was like the worst husband on the planet. And this woman, again, was bending over, changing herself, trying to be as calm and as meditative and as peaceful as possible for this guy that she pretty much like begged to love her. And then before the season was over, we got to notice that they were what consciously uncoupling. They were going to divorce, but they were still going to be friends. And next thing we know, he was on a season of, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, uh, dating Garcelle Bouvet. And I wanted to tell Garcelle, run! Did you not see how he treated his ex-wife with that coldness and that yuckiness on the Black Love Doc? It was just... So yeah, I just wish they would take to heart some of the critiques that they're getting um, because they making Black Love look messy boots. Messy, messy, messy boots. Mm. Ooh, yeah, it's, mm. think pieces everywhere. Think pieces everywhere. Yikes. So uh, before we dive into the conversation, I want to tell you something that has brought me, ooh, when I tell you the joy that I felt. I was sitting here minding my business and I, you know, looked at my phone and I got to notice the new versus battle. This is something I jumped, screamed, filled with joy. 
versus Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight. When I tell you my heart is full, it is going to be this Sunday night. Let me double check the date. What is that day? September 11th, Sunday night. It is when I'm, I'm excited, I'm going to dress up in my house. I might wear my hat. I might wear a fascinator. Um, I'm just, woo. So for those of you who don't know me personally, I feel like I've said this on the show. I don't know. I am a huge, huge, huge Patti LaBelle fan. Patti LaBelle is the first concert I ever went to in my life. My mother took me at uh, five years old and changed my life, changed my worldview. Everything in my life is about Patti. If I have seen one person perform the most, it has been Patti LaBelle. I've seen her perform at least 10 times. I typically go, if she's anywhere near Central Florida, I am there. Um, and she's the one celebrity I want to meet that I haven't met that I'm like, oh, I just want to be close to you. I love Patti LaBelle. She has retweeted me twice and liked one of my tweets two or three times. I suspect it's more her son running her account, but that's still a, it's good enough for me. I'm a Patty fanatic. So seeing this, and I adore Gladys Knight. I love, love, love Gladys Knight. She is a legend. She is a queen. Her voice is still like butter. It is gorgeous, gorgeous. And they are really good friends. So this battle is gonna, I feel like it's gonna give us all the emotional hug that we need. <laughs> it is going to be our aunties, our grandmas getting together, telling funny stories and singing good songs. Um, I am, fills my heart. I, you know, my friend Cord, who has been a guest of the show, was like, we don't deserve such goodness. And I was like, what a privilege. What a joy divine. And I mean it. Like, whoa, I'm so excited. I can't, thinking about it, I can't even wipe the smile from my face. I love those two women. And we are so blessed to still have these two legends singing their butts off in their 70s. Like they're still going strong. I went to see Patti LaBelle. Uh, my mother and I went last year, the beginning of last year. Um, and it was really the last like big concert that I was able to enjoy with her. And when I tell you, we were like second row. It was perfect. And Patti in her 70s, just going and changing shoes and dancing and two-stepping and singing live and going into the audience. Like, woo! It's just amazing, amazing, amazing talent. And we are just so privileged as a, as a generation, as a culture to have had, to have those two. And they're still going strong. So I'm just excited. Uh, I doubt Dionne Warwick will show up and give us sisters in the name of love. That's a that's a real deep cut for those of you who are Patty and Gladys fans. Um, but I'm I'm so excited. I'm literally trying to think. Well, what am I gonna cook on Sunday? What should I? I just feel. I feel. Oh man, I'm excited. That's what's really making me happy this week. It took my little week and infused some joy into it and something to look forward to. So I want you to take a break. We'll be right back with my guest, Deidre Martin. She's a repeat offender on this show. <laughs> and uh, if you remember the forgiveness episode, we talked uh, in depth about forgiveness. This week, we're going to give ourselves 
a little self-check and talk about how many of us are dealing with collective grief, collective trauma. Effie, we all got pain, baby. And so that's what we're going to talk about and to let you know, hey, if you're feeling it, you're normal. So I want you to take a break. Be right back with my guest, Deetra, to talk about all of those sorts of collective grief and trauma that we're experiencing. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back. I am super excited to have my guest, my friend, my sorority sister, and now repeat guest, one of the favorites I've ever had, a therapist, counselor, I would say to the stars, if, but I'm the star in my mind, Deetra Martin, our therapist, she was with us on the forgiveness episode, uh, so I was eager to have her back, tell the people hello and what you're up to. Hello, people. Hello, people. Well, first, sis, thank you so much for having me again. It is always a pleasure to kiki with you because, you know, you and I have no sense, no pun intended. <laughs> but, <laughs> but together we make magic. Um, Frankly, you know, just working, just trying to ease the minds of, of a lot of individuals that are still going through a lot of anxiety that is, you know, being steered and driven by the pandemic and everything that's just been going on in the world. A lot has gone on since we last talked, a lot. <laughs> You're right. You're right. That was, our conversation was sort of right at the beginning of everything. And the right. earth was still open. Or, you know, well, <laughs> the earth is open now, but we were maskless and free and breathing free air, right? So, so a lot has gone right. down. Tell me what you're seeing, because the last time we chit-chatted, you were like, uh, my books are full of people needing to talk about it. So I, that was sort of the topic that was on my mind as well. What are you seeing? What I'm seeing right now, honestly, is just a trend of everyone feeling out of place but feeling unified because, again, this is the first time that everyone, quite frankly, on the planet understands what anxiety feels like. Mm. Um, being that it's the fear of the unknown, which is literally what we are living in right now. So I'm seeing a lot of anxiety-driven sessions, um, a lot of catastrophic thinking um, that is having to be reframed. And couple-wise, I'm getting a lot of couple sessions of just couples and families just, quite frankly, just tired of each other and just don't know how to communicate anymore. Yeah. With this high level um, amount of stress, though, I'm seeing a gamut of a lot of things, but my um, requests for sessions has definitely increased since the last time we spoke. Good problems to have, but a lot of people are hurting right now, and understandably mm. so. I think it's a good thing, though, that the people are aware that they should seek help. You know what I mean? I think yes. maybe five years ago, it would have been an expectation to just grin, bear it, deal with it, Correct. pray harder, you know, journal mm -hmm. privately and not seek external help. So that's actually a positive thing. Um, I also wanted to ask you, well, let, let me ask this. Are you seeing a lot of mm -hmm. what I would call collective grief, collective trauma, collective anxiety? And for those who don't understand, what is that? What is collective you know, th those things as a collective, what are those? 
Um, I'm absolutely seeing um, symptoms of collective trauma. Collective trauma is typically trauma experiences that a collective is actually experiencing at one time. Mm -hmm. So we have transgenerational trauma or interracial trauma, excuse me, intergenerational trauma, and then we have collective trauma. Collective trauma are people who go through, you know, elements of racism, everything that we're seeing with police brutality, the way it's impacting um, black Americans in this country, that's collective trauma. Um, Going through this pandemic together, everyone being aware and going through similarities and, and, and similar situations, that's collective trauma. So it's basically, simplistically speaking, just trauma as a whole that a group of people are going through together. Okay. And, and do you have to experience it directly? Like in the case of a COVID-19, a lot of us may not have a person that we are closely related to that has gone through the disease or that has passed away from it. Would that kind of a would you still be experiencing collective trauma if it has not directly impacted you? Absolutely. I mean, look at the fact that we get impacted every time we see another African American shot on the street and we see it on television. Collectively, we're still all traumatized because we're seeing it. Mm-hmm. We may not be directly experiencing it, may not be a family member, but we all still feel that same pain. Um, through that trauma of the experience of being able to relate to it. So collectively, it does not have to happen to you directly, but it can still impact you, and it can still traumatize you the exact same way as if you were right there. Wow, wow. Absolutely. And just seeing as it relates to the pandemic, seeing all the death, what what are we now? What what number are we now? I don't even in the United know. States of America. I saw somewhere today on Joy Joy and Reese. I think so. I saw that there was a projection of four hundred thousand maybe by by the end of the year. Right, right. By the end of the year we're gonna be at what, four hundred and ten thousand people who, who have died from a, a virus. So Yes, I know people do have passed away. You and I both know people have passed mm-hmm. away. But even if I didn't, I would still be traumatized. <laughs> yeah. I, I would still feel, you know, anxiety. Because, again, this this thing is actually killing people. And you don't know how it's going to respond to you directly if it does happen to you. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it's affecting. But collective trauma, again, you don't have to be directly impacted to where it's a personal relationship to be traumatized by collective trauma refers to the impact that a traumatic incident has on an individual or a few people or collectively right right so and i you know i've it's no secret that i have been going through my own personal grief and my own personal trauma with the loss of my mom and and just you know but i ain't gonna lie it's been a rough what six years for me so yes, yes it it's very interesting because this year I'm like, I feel the same way I felt for six years. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I guess my question is, this is also the first time I think I've ever seen such a prolonged experience that everyone's had. I mean, you know, we lived through, during 9-11, but, you know, that still only greatly affected one part of the country. Um, and it affected us on the national level. But for the most part, it was we were able to start healing as early as the day or two after, right? It wasn't a prolonged sort of fear 
you know, we just have never right. experienced this. And in so many ways, on so many fronts, racially, politically, and, and now with our health as well. So what, right. how would a person know that they're experiencing some sort of a trauma? Like, what are the, uh, what are the signs of like, oh, this may, I may be going through something. Okay. So first, our body, our bodies are pretty much vessels, okay? Mm. They have the ability to let us know exactly what is happening. That's why, you know, when people hide their emotions, I also, I always tell my clients, you know, look, that is a natural, you know, flag of letting us know emotionally and psychologically that something ain't right in the water, mm. that, that, that something is, is going on. But the physical symptoms of trauma can come in an array of ways. Um, behaviorally, you may have escalated irritability or hostility or uh, self-sabotage or self-destructive behavior, social isolation. Um, psychologically, a lot of times if you're going through trauma, you have severe anxiety. There's anxiety, which is uncomfortable, but severe anxiety can be you know, completely um, debilitating, where you can't even function throughout the day. Flashbacks, nightmares, palpitations, sweats, insomnia, mm. emotional detachment, um, intrusive, ruminating, unwanting thoughts. Um, a lot of these are symptoms of, of, of trauma. Um, but there are elements of trauma. There's, there's acute, there's chronic, and then there's complex. So when you're getting into trauma, a psychiatrist, when they're going to diagnose you, it's all about the time frame when it comes to a diagnosis. Mm. Um, because sometimes we may have fear or depression, but you're not clinically um, diagnosed as depressed until there's a pattern of behavior that has been assessed for a certain period of time. Right. So, so, so it's, it's all about the duration. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. So it's about how long. So mm -hmm. you may be experiencing some stuff that you might want to pay attention to, but it may not be severe right. enough to really be concerned. For a clinical diagnosis. Got it. Yes. Got exactly. It. Because a lot of things that happen to us, um, how we respond may be completely appropriate. If you have a loss, you're going to be sad. Yeah. That's appropriate. It's, it's appropriate to have moments of sadness and confusion and, and irritability or anxiety after a severe loss. That's completely appropriate. Now, it gets a little dangerous when those mood swings have escalated um, and become uh, very problematic or you're a person may be observing that the person's mood has completely altered and changed for an extended period of time. That is when we have to start assessing like, okay, this, this pattern of behavior is, is more prolonged or it's more severe and, and, and than we would like. So now it's a bit concerning. So now we need to assess some patterns of behavior. And a psychiatrist or a psychologist would look at the duration and the severity of, of the behavior patterns. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so there are some of us who had anxiety, had depression, and it was diagnosed mm -hmm. before the world fell apart. Right. Well, formally fell apart in 2020. <laughs> Right. Um, right. Right. What advice do you have for someone who is aware that they may have some some mental health issues and are being compounded by our current climate? Anxiety is completely understandable. Um, and also just understanding that if a person is now seeing prolonged symptoms of anxiety, you know, getting out of bed is no longer an option, you know, 
they they are staying in a state of mind that is, you know, instead of a couple of days or maybe some hours is turning into weeks on end, that there's lack of motivation, feelings of deep despair, um, questioning their their worth or their life at this point, you know, suicidal ideation, things of that nature. Mm. If they're feeling compounded by these emotions, I would definitely implore them to to seek a higher level of care or speak to someone. Um, and that's the issue, especially amongst our community, is that, you know, now therapy is, is on trend. Mm-hmm. But before that, the, the coping element was not there. Yeah. There was no real, you know, knowing how to actually appropriately process emotions or even acknowledge certain feelings and emotions because that is sometimes equated as weakness, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, even in our climate, we have to redefine what strength looks like because right now saying I'm going to be strong just ain't cutting it. You know, giving somebody a high five and like that, 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 that meme that came out, giving somebody a high five and telling them that they're strong. Yeah. Right, but I'm still drowning. Right. Listeners, for those of you who haven't yeah. seen the meme, it is literally a, a black woman that's like in a body of water and she's drowning and her hand is still up and so somebody from society, it's generally I think a white hand comes up, gives her a high five and says, <laughs> you're so strong and then just kind of lets her drown. Right. Um, right. So, so yeah, it was was very powerful because I don't think people understand completely, including some of us as black women, what it is when people just give you those kudos for being strong, but there's no help, no support, no understanding of your humanity. All of the above. Yeah. And you know, you're you're telling me I'm strong, but you're still, I still need help. You're, You're still not helping me. You're telling me I'm strong. You're giving me all the accolades of what you think strength looks like, mm-hmm. but I'm drowning. I'm still, drowning. Still. And so, right, right. So there has to be a change in our pattern of behavior and just our pattern and our way of thinking and understanding that asking for help is sometimes essential and quite frankly, um, life altering that, that needs to happen. You know, sometimes it's life or death asking for help is when, when our mental health is, struggling or were impaired just asking for that help can really help someone bring them out of a dark cloud that has been navigating their thoughts to where it could have really gone left um to where them thinking that life is not even worth it anymore so again we have to redefine what strength looks like Mm. and you know you mentioned that for many of us we didn't have the coping mechanisms but i also noticed that with this year in particular the coping mechanisms that most black people, most black women use are not an option. You know, if your way of dealing with stress has always been going and hanging out with friends or going out for drinks or going to just make fun happen and gathering is so important to the community. Like we are, I'm an extrovert, honey. I've been suffering because I, right. I loved having something to look forward to in terms of going out, hanging out, having friends, going to family events. If that's been your coping mechanism, if you've been living from fun weekend to fun weekend, you really don't get to have that anymore. If church has been your coping mechanism, right? which for a lot of, a lot of people, I don't think realize how addicted they had become to going to the house, having the worship, feeling good. Even if it's just for that two hour or two hours, if you're Baptist, 
12 if you're right. Pentecostal. Right. <laughs> feeling good for that time period. And then going right. out and feeling like you have enough energy and enough mojo and enough hope to make it through the week. And that's sort of been zapped in its traditional sense. Like the gathering, the getting together to, to, to sing, to do these things that black people have done since slavery. So I'm not shading us. Um, we don't get to right. have those things anymore. So I, I think it is understandable for us to be struggling when, yes. when, you know, what we have typically used to get us through, which is each other, has been kind of cut off right. for our safety. Right. I mean, congregation is a part of our ancestral, you know, <laughs> way of life. That's what we do. Yeah. We congregate. We come together to to bring strength and draw strength from each other. And when you don't have that, you know, there there's a the feeling of just what do I do now? Who do I turn to without that feeling of of you know community? Yeah. You know that that's that has been our anchor. You know, and without it, we stink. So now we have to figure out what do we do now? Yeah. But I want to point out that during this time, what I've learned is that there is a difference between being socially isolated for the sake of protecting our health and then being lonely. Okay, mm, because please clear that up. The so yes, social isolation, that's the physical separation from other people, right? You mm -hmm. know, say living alone. While loneliness is sometimes a distressed feeling of being alone or separated. So, it is possible to feel lonely while amongst other people, and you can be alone yet not feel lonely. So, we have to understand that Loneliness is not just a feeling. It is a biological warning from your body to seek out other people. Mm. Okay. Because human connection is important to survive and thrive and your body knows it. So I just want to tell your audience, pay attention to what your body is telling you. And I, I had to do that myself because I have been really, you know, isolating myself because my children are immunocompromised. Mm. So I know people that are still having gatherings and I have not done nothing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I have not gathered even with family and you know how close I am to my oh, family so that has yeah. been traumatizing so I had to really listen on those moments when I had to escape or have a, a Skype or a Zoom with my family or do a check-in I really had to say okay it's been a while I love my husband I love my kids but I need some additional you know human yeah. connection because this is starting to drive me crazy yeah so you you really have to listen to what you need and, and what your, your your mind and your spirit and your soul is requiring in the moment. And this has just been a test of all of that right now. Right. It really has. Right. And I completely understand that. That's that's been the hardest part. I mean, when this when this first happened, I was so scared about touching my grandpa. Because I just was yeah. I didn't know, you know, I just was scared. And I remember going to visit him and not hugging him. And I got in the car and just sobbed. And right. it just felt weird. And mind you, my grandpa is not a very physical touch person. I've been bullying him into hugging me since I was like three. So right. he was like, well, right. what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm just used to making <laughs> you hug me. and You, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. but it's yeah. one of those things where it's like you don't realize how important some of these things are until we're without them and so you know I, I just want everyone to understand and and I I wanted to talk about this because I was seeing people comment 
on Twitter, this one uh, woman said she had gone to get her hair done uh, professionally, mm-hmm. and she said she had so much dandruff, she was embarrassed. And she right. told, <laughs> she said she told the, the, the oh, stylist, God. yeah, she said she told the stylist, I am so sorry, I'm having some dandruff problems. And the stylist says, every customer I have is starting to have these right. problems because I think right. everybody's stressed out. And she right. was like, oh, you know what I mean? Right. My skin is acting a donkey. I ain't never had skin problems. What's happening? Right. Right. You know, the way <laughs> people are going through it. I saw someone else say, why does it take me all of my energy? I do one thing and I feel like laying down immediately Amen after I do that. it. Yeah, which I've, I've literally started that. telling yeah. myself, you can only do one emotional big task a day. <laughs> And absolutely. And it's the truth. I mean, I grocery shopped and came home and, and thought I was going to handle some big documents for my mom and just had a meltdown today. I was like, well, that yeah. wasn't the big task I should have taken on. <laughs> it's it's right. It's we're at this point where we've got to be OK with knowing that this is not OK. Um, that part being OK with not being OK and also throwing out your daily task expectations. Sometimes you just have to throw it out the window and start Mm -hmm. again the next day. Remember you and I were talking and (laughs) you were basically like, I had a plan to do something today and that didn't pan out. So I just surrendered and accepted that. Yeah. This ain't happening today and that's okay. (laughs) It's, you know, some days I push through and I can go, okay, I got to clean all these floors. And I push through and right. I clean. I'm glad, you know, your house smell like bleach. You did a good job, black lady. <laughs> and there's other days where it's like, if I clean one room, I'm good. And I have to do it like that. And it's not even about, you know, I think there's a part of us that's conditioned to feel like you're lazy. If you cannot mm-hmm. tackle everything in your life in one day. And I'm a, you know, I'm a big rip the bandaid off, do all your homework kind of person. Yeah, And so yeah. I, I struggle with that. Like if I don't do everything, I feel like I'm failing, but I'm also realizing that I'm running like a computer with all my tabs open. Huh? Do you know what huh. I'm saying? Like they're in the background. <laughs> Maybe I'm, you know, in my mind, it's I, slowing down. You'll see. It's slowing yes. Down. In, yes. In my mind, I'm working on one thing, but the truth is there's a lot of stuff that has yeah. happened in the last few years that's running in the background constantly. Yeah. And and I'm starting to recognize when my programs are open. Um, hmm. <laughs> if that makes any I love sense. Because, no, I love that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm aware of that. And I think a lot of us, particularly this year, are doing that. Because think about in the past, you say, I wanna okay. go to the store, I need to get X, Y, and Z, great. In your mind, all you would have to do is remember what you wanted to get. Go straight there. Right. You know, you get your directions if you need MapQuest or whatever. You get your item, you come home, you use what you need. Now you've got to also think about, is this place still open? Are they the same hours before? Is it, you know, the COVID is controlling all of it. Now I got to make sure I've got my mask. Do I have the sanitizer Mm -hmm. that I need going in and out? Do they sanitize the carts here? Um, Right. Are there directions on the floor? Do I, okay, this person is standing closer to me. Should I just wait? Can I reach over her and get the chicken or should I just wait until she gets her recipe out? (laughs) I had that conundrum today. 
this lady would right. not leave the ground beef section. And I was like, ma'am, you've got to leave it so I can get my beef. <laughs> it just, but it was like, right. you know, that would not have been a thought at all. No. In January. I just went under her and been like, excuse me, girl. Yeah, I would have just been like, oh, excuse me, that's my piece, gone. But, like, it was a major thought process of I don't want to be too close. I don't want to violate your personal space. I don't know if you got the cooties, girl. And I'm going to walk down the aisle, get something else, come back. My husband needs some cookies. I'll just go over there, come back. She's still at the meet. I'm mad now. If you don't get your ass, (laughs) if you don't know what you're cooking, you need to, you know what I mean? Like, the, does right. the recipe call for it or not? Yeah. But right. I mean, right. you, that's the level of, of extra thought that's playing right. in your mind now versus. And it's exhausting. And it's exhausting. It and is just pure exhaustion. Just everything that you just did, the rundown and the checklist. I mean, we really took life for granted before this, I tell you that. Like, yeah. just the little things of just convenience, of just running out and getting some chicken or some meat and then running back. No, now it's a whole process. Yeah. Right? And it is mentally draining. And that is why, you know, with my clients and just people in general, I'm just giving, I'm cutting everybody a lot of slack right now. Mm. Normally, with this level of anxiety with people, I would be concerned with just, you know, why are you feeling this way? What's contributing to the anxiety? What's triggering it? Now it's like, duh. I know what's causing your anxiety. You're in an anxiety-driven environment right now. It's situational, and it's completely, you know, all-consuming and polarizing us. I mean, look at everything around us. You can't escape the world unless you literally just turn off everything. You can't go on any type of social media platform without seeing some type of something. (laughs) There's no escape. There's no reprieve. And it's curated to feed into your anxieties. That's another thing where it's right. like, oh God, yes. if you are, whether you're liberal or conservative, I doubt there's anyone conservative listening to me. So, but let's <laughs> pretend whether you're liberal or conservative, the algorithms sort of curate what you already feel a little panic about oh, yes. anyway yes. and feed you more of yes. it. So you're, you know, whatever yes. your fears are, they get, they get to grow and grow and grow, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on or what your belief system is, you kind of get more of the panic of whatever it is that you already think. Oh, it's a whole setup. I mean, think about this. You look for a couch at Wayfair or something on your regular, you know, safari, and then you go into Facebook and now you see in furniture ads all up in there. Like it's, Girl. it's, it's deliberate. Girl. <laughs> I looked for a ceiling fan once (laughs) and I've gotten nothing but light fixtures and it's still not the fan I want. So I'm just like, well, how many, I keep telling y'all the fan I want, (laughs) it's still not right. But you're right. And what's worse. And and it has made it worse. Whereas I looked one day, like maybe I'll get a different ceiling fan. Now I look every day. Well, maybe they have the one I want. It has increased my panic about this magical, mystical ceiling fan with the retractable blades. (laughs) Now it's like a panic. I'll never find this if I don't look right. Like, why don't they have this? Um, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because I looked one day on a whim and all of a sudden it has increased this need for this fan that I don't really technically need. I just, you know, find the one we have boring. 
But here, right. here it's gone from a clever thing I could do to like this. Right. My entire home will look a mess if I don't get this new ceiling fan. If you don't get this fan. And so that's what it does. You know, they, they get a sense of what you're possibly looking for or searching through. And then now it's everywhere. Now it's everywhere to align with what you may be seeking. And, that and adds so here into we are. It. And that adds into it. Because if you are seeking information about the coronavirus, if you are finding information about police brutality or racial strife in the protest, what ends up happening right. is that these topics that are already really, really heavy and really, really hard are going to get exacerbated, exacerbated, exacerbated. So the, the mental response makes sense. Exactly. And that is why, you know, for those who are still all consumed by everything and just feel like it's consuming you and breaking you down, you have to step away mm. from news. Sometimes you have to step away from social media. You have to log yourself off sometimes just to kind of just give yourself a moment to just actually like existentially live in the moment without all of these distractions and really just reflect on what is really going on. Because otherwise, you will it'll it'll become an obsession, and it's not helping your anxiety whatsoever. And it's not whatsoever. helping you. And it's not helping no. you. No, 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 It's 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 a it's basically it becomes an addiction. Mm. It really does. It really does. So you know, log off sometimes, people. Log off. Yeah, yeah, and it and I feel like I'll speak for myself. This is an election year. And there's a little part of me that feels guilty as a person who is typically a political junkie that this year I haven't been able to, I just haven't been able to put that kind of energy in watching MSNBC all day. And, you know, the way that I used to be about politics, I, yes. I can't do it. And I feel like, am I being, am I being lazy? Am I being weak? Am I giving up on, you know, am I not fighting and being a part of the resistance? But at the same time, it's like... <laughs> I get 30 minutes and two Trump quotes and I'm like, yo, I can't, I don't know if I can face the day if this is what it's like outside, you know? No, absolutely. What you're doing is protecting your peace, pun intended. Okay. You're, you're protecting your sanity and there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you're not choosing to be silent in the movement. You're, you're trying to actually, you know, stay sane mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. There's only so much rhetoric that you can take in a day. I know for me, I have a limit. I, I I look at my alerts now. I used to just log on to CNN and MSNBC and just watch it all day. Yeah. When all of this first started, it was like a part of what I did. But I was like, no, I, I had to sign off. And now I just maybe look at some alerts, but I, I still inform myself as needed. But the obsessiveness of it, mm -mm, it, it can really break you down. Yeah. You know, yeah. and some of these things we have no control over. So we just have to be informed as much as we can, but don't let it consume you to the point where it's making you sick mentally yeah. and physically. Because this world will stress you out. Listen, it will stress you out. And, yes. And the one thing that has broken my heart, but also reminded me, like, I can't do this is, you know, watching some of these people who are clearly dependent on not seeing how other people live. They are convinced that racism is the right way. I mean, you're speaking into basically the void, right? Right. It's like, right. I, I can't, I can't convince you anymore. If, if, 
No. You don't want to learn American history for real, for reals. I, I can't I can't wear myself out like this anymore. No. And there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to change someone's mind at this point. People's opinions and what they have decided upon politically, whatever, what have you, at this point, their minds are made up. Yeah. Okay? So what are we really addressing right now? There is no changing of the minds. For me, I suffer from last word syndrome. So well, I'm going to get the last word? Last... <laughs> yes. I suffer from last word syndrome, so I know that if I engage in social media the way I would like, I would never get off of it because once I get going, I can't stop. Like, I, if that's the Virgo in me, I can't stop. Like, if if you get me going on something passionate enough, mm-mm, it's, it's bad. Like, I, I can't stop. So I just don't engage <laughs> because I suffer from last word syndrome. Are you the mm-hmm. one that yells your mama at the end when people walk off? So you can... <laughs> No, that would definitely be me. But see, I yell your mom if she says something back that I'm going to turn around and then still continue. It's it's that bad. It's that bad. I get it. And, you know, I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it, and I take full accountability for it. So I have a treatment plan for it. So I just don't engage. I just don't engage. Yeah. And sometimes that is, that, that's protecting your peace. Yes. Yes. So everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses. You know, you have to you have to know who you are. <laughs> you have to. That's very you true. Have to know who you are. And you have to okay? know your and own triggers, know. and you have to know your own oh, triggers. Yes. yes, yes, I know my triggers. Mine are last word syndrome and Candace Owens. So Ooh. to mention that, you know, it sets me off. So you have to know who you are. <laughs> You have to know who you are as a person. So I just don't engage. I just, I, I don't engage. You know, Candace Owens, I just can't be bothered by a woman who doesn't know how to press her hair properly. Okay. <laughs> Here, okay. See, don't get me started. But that's all I'm just you saying. So but I, I love it. I love it. Well, we have, okay. She, she, she combs her hair in a way that she feels as if her coils or her type of hair is like um, our Caucasian brethren. So she she fixes her hair like that. Well, this is how um, I don't trust her decision-making. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't need to engage in you. You can't do your own hair. You're a grown woman. You don't make smart choices. You don't make wise decisions. You don't seek wise counsel. Why do I? Why I'm not going to argue with you. That's where I'm at with her. There, there's no point because again, she is the epitome of cognitive dissonance. She, she, there's, there's no, there's no point. Well, I, I, in engaging, with not her. to shift gears, but I think she's just getting paid, just like uh, satin and rhinestone and all them other coons, honey. They... <laughs> Say it again, sis. What do you <laughs> satin and rhinestone and oh, all? If we want to talk about hair, Jesus God. The, listen, yeah. the hair hats. That's what I said. These are just, these are, listen, <gasps> capitalism poisons authentic thought for some people. <laughs> so they may have a whole bunch of things in their head, but the truth is they're going to shut jive and coon till they get them them checks. That's all that matters. I, I don't argue. I don't engage with any of them. Not, not these, not these monsters they put on television. 
Right. But if you actually sometimes just see what they say and the, the hypocrisy and the irony. I know. It's just so unreal with their cognitive dissonances. Like they have this, they have the inconsistent thoughts and the beliefs and the attitudes but their their behavioral decisions don't align. It's yeah. just it's amazing. Well, nobody upsets it's me amazing. more. Nobody upsets me more than what's the what's the boy? He has a horrible haircut. He's the attorney general of Kentucky. Oh, those types. That, yeah, they bother me far more than than the shuck jive TV coons. Like, okay, girl, get your check. I see what you're doing, but like, you actually really are making political decisions. Uh, okay, let me let me let me shift gear. Speaking of coons, this year, <laughs> <laughs> you like my transition? Uh, no, but this transition is, girl. This is actually a serious question because okay, this year, I okay at the beginning of the summer, I noticed that some people who had more I don't want to say more serious mental health issues because I don't like to compare mental health struggles, but people who okay. had not like you know. Everybody got a little anxiety, a little depression. Lots of us know people that have anxiety and depression. I noticed that people who had different types of uh, mental illnesses, it seemed to be exacerbated at the beginning of the summer. Um, Someone I know personally had an episode, and we all saw Kanye have his extreme meltdown, right? You know, he was Mm -hmm. calling his mother-in-law this and talking crazy about his own wife and all that stuff. And, you know, even though I don't see it for Kanye... What stuck out to me was seeing a lot of people go, well, where's Kim? What's Kim doing? And my oh. instant thought was, what can Kim do? Um, so I guess my overall question is that for those of us who may have a loved one, a friend, right. or anybody that we see, because sometimes it's on Facebook, it's on social media, you know, we're not all together, and we're starting to see someone's IG live. These conversations are getting a little crazy. What's happened? Well, crazy is not the right word. Lord, help me. But, you know, I'm concerned about this person's mental status. What can we do as friends, as family, as loved ones, if we're seeing someone whose mental health is very, very, very um, concerning, maybe dangerous? So, first of all, I would implore anyone who feels like they have family members who are in the spectrum or feeling like they're exhibiting behaviors um, that are concerning is to, number one, get educated on what you think you possibly may be seeing. Um, And then the thing with Kim and that situation or just family members in general is that just because someone might be clinically diagnosed um, with a disorder mm-hmm. does not give them a pass um, to, you know, engage in problematic behavior. Mm. Yes, there is only so much you can do, correct? But what I don't like about that scenario is the the level of, and again, I'm not there, but I just sense a, a level of engagement of enabling. And, mm. you know, with her statement she was basically justifying a lot of his of, of his patterns of behavior. And, you know, that's her wife, so she's going to defend him. I was going to say, that's but definitely would, wife behavior, though. Right. Not, not in a negative way. It's a, we're both wives, right. listeners, so we're not saying that to be shady as much as I think a lot of us are trained, taught, encouraged to cover our husbands, to protect them. 
And so you don't air out your business. That's just sort of wife school 101. Whenever you get married, that's the first thing everybody tells you. It's a tendency to right, want to to cover and to, to make sure he's seen in the best light possible. And see, in the roles of dysfunctional behavior, that role in the family is called the fixer and it's problematic. Mm, okay. Tell that, us about that. that. That's, the, that's the role in the family. There's, in a dysfunctional family, there are several roles. I'm going to get to that in a second, but let me let me answer your original question. Then we're going to get into the roles of a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. That being said, if someone is clinically diagnosed with a disorder, um, I believe uh, when I was in grad school, they basically said, um, you know, an adult may be 30 years old physically, um, but 15 emotionally, mm. sometimes when it comes to a bipolar disorder. But um, a bipolar disorder can arrest a person's emotional maturity and produce behavior that's very child- childlike and reckless. But please remember there's an adult in there as well. So to cherry pick and enable and to, to baby said person, just because there's um, possibly some uh, manic episodes of uh, chaos and confusion, it's not really doing them well. It might be actually doing a disservice. You want to make sure that there's an element of logic and reality when it comes to a person who is suffering from a clinical diagnosis. You don't want to, you know, minimize them or make them feel less than or treat them like a child just because they are clinically diagnosed you need to handle it accordingly but understand that there is a grown person there you know to to enable and to coddle from my experience does not help Mm. someone who is clinically diagnosed but there has to be an element of education you have to understand the patient is going to be essential Mm. um and but understanding that that person you can't make them get help unless they are a danger to themselves or others. Gotcha. Um, but okay, but you also have to understand what all of this means, and they're not going to just snap out of this. So it's a, it's a lifelong thing to where the family all has to get educated about what this means and what it looks like. So a person could be erratic. They could be talking mm-hmm. or speaking in a way that is perhaps incoherent to to us, right? Mm-hmm. But if they are not a physical danger, if you're hearing them talk, but they're not talking about killing themselves or killing anybody, you kind of got to ride that wave unless they can see that they need help and they voluntarily decide to do so. Am I understanding that? Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. If they're not a danger to themselves or others, in Florida, it's called Baker, Baker acting. acting. Um, but in different states, they're they're called different things. So it's really contingent upon the state of what the perimeters are. But you have to find a healthy balance. You know, how much are you willing to do? Should you use tough love? How long is this going on? Um, how long you should you wait to intervene when a loved one is going through a manic episode? It's, it's a tough thing to assess. It's like walking a tightrope. So you have to learn, as a family member, you have to learn your own balance and welfare with the interests of the person that you're supporting. You have to find out what your boundaries are, what you can and cannot deal with. And again, that comes with education. So you have to find a healthy balance when it comes to supporting your loved one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's basically a trial and error situation. You have to take things in stride and one day at a time. Uh, But education is going to be key. So you can see those moments of when you see an episode coming, what does that mean? And get involved with other family members who are going the same thing. There's nothing like peer support to see how other families have dealt with other situations to see if that might be best for you as well. So just 
when people try to cover up what's going on in the family, I just don't think that helps. I understand that, you know, sometimes we're raised to keep it all in the family. It's a secret, but you're missing out on opportunities that could be helping you if you're keeping this all in house to care for someone. That's quite a very big burden to, 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 to hold and to, to, you know, carry. So that, that means that you're removing that stigma. Hmm. You have to remove that stigma. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that because just like we talked about our anxiety and depression and and those sorts of, I think, I don't want to, I feel like when when we were talking about mental health, we were talking about self-care, we're all very comfortable and most of us know someone who is honest and saying, I have anxiety, I have depression. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it is somewhat more normal and accepted to talk about that and to seek help. That's completely different than someone who is what manic, maybe bipolar, depressive, I don't even know all the names, maybe having some paranoia or some episodes. Yeah, I (laughs) did not go to school for this. I just read a lot of books. So I'm running out of names. But um, right. But that's a completely different thing than if somebody is literally having episodes of alter almost in an altered state. Um, But just like people who are having anxiety and depression are uh, are experiencing an increase of those feelings. I can only imagine that people who have other mental health issues are also experiencing an increase of that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything, if I have seen so many family members say that some disorders or certain things were uh, dormant and Mm. then all of this happened and it triggered and all of these, you know, symptoms have started to become unearthed. So it's completely, um, you know, accurate to say that because I've seen it. I've seen it. This, this environment is definitely bringing out, um, things that might've been tucked away in a box, um, and now bubbling up to the surface, um, because there's so much trauma and so many different energies going on right now that it's just, it's waking up a lot of beasts, Mm, (laughs) if you will. Yeah, Yeah. So that's completely accurate and fair thing to say. Absolutely. Okay, now this is the last question before we Mm -hmm. just talk a little bit. But um, I saw a quote today that says, instructing people to do self-care when what they really need is community care is going to fail them. So I guess my question is, do you agree with that? And if that's the case, what can we do to help ourselves and each other in this uh, climate? Well, can't we have both? I think so, You, you know. I did, it's not my quote. Right? It's not, oh, okay. it's not my I quote. Would, I would challenge that quote in saying, why can't we have both? Yeah. Because I, I get where they're saying self-care isn't enough. We need community to thrive. I get that. Or, but well, I, I think what they're saying mm-hmm. is if there's a systematic issue, if it is a cultural issue, if it is a something that is happening that you can't really lavender bath your way through. <laughs> I I think that's more so what they're saying. Like if you are saying I am you're dealing with stress, right? And and the issue is what's stressing you out is that you are in an oppressive kind of situation. How can I instruct you to do self-care if the issue is that the entire society you're in is oppressing you? So, with that being said, 
I do agree with that statement to a certain extent. I think that any situation, self-care is always going to be essential. Um, But if we're talking about systemic oppression and when it's the world that is causing the the anxiety and the dysfunction, yes, community-wise, you do need to come together for that support and upliftment. But sometimes that's not even enough. Yeah. Because you can, have you ever heard that statement to where you're, you're surrounded by others, but you still feel lonely, like I just said? Yeah. You can still be surrounded by people who surface level get it, that understand. But what about that second level? Yeah. Do you, you know, feel that deep connection of, right, of understanding? Right. Yeah. Right. There's two levels that we show to the world. There's that, that first level, that first mask that we got it all together, functional mass, that we still even may show to our peers. Like when we all get together and march for Black Lives Matter or what have you, you're, you're showing community, you're getting together, you have that mask of, I feel so much better now that we're all coming together. But then what happens when you get home? Mm. Now what, you had community, but when you get home, you're still feeling downtrodden with despair. And how do you process that? Right. Right. So that's when that element of individual self-care comes into play of understanding that this still may not be enough. Now what? Right. So I, I still would advise community care. Sure. Group engagement. Absolutely. Individual self-care. Absolutely. One on one with the therapist. I say get all the help that you can get. <laughs> Whatever it is, grab on to it. The yeah. more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. It's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> if it'll work, if it'll make you feel good. That's what... yeah. my husband laughs because I'll talk about people's church service. And I say, well, if it make them feel right, make them feel close to God, I ain't mad. <laughs> then you can't be mad. And I feel like right? that about, yeah, that's sort of what it is about a lot of stuff. Okay, you want to wear that outfit? I think it's tacky. But do you feel joy about it? Go ahead. Go off. You know, I think... We all have to adapt in terms of what is bringing you joy and and, right. and do that. What is bringing you peace and do that and don't feel any kind of shame or judgment about it. I mean, I, you know, bringing you hurting people brings you joy. That's you feel shame. But other, right. you know, if it's healthy overall and you're not really hurting anybody, then just process that and be okay and be at peace with, with, with what you're doing to seek peace. So if... If working on something, if making your political phone calls and things like that help you feel like you are doing something more, I think that's great, you know, but at the same time, when you go home and you need to decompress, do your self-care as well. Exactly. Everyone needs a reprieve Mm. at some point. Everyone needs a break. I mean, you have to have a moment where... You know, you're reflecting because the thing about this life is that we do these things, we accomplish things, we, 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 we do what we need to do, but are we really living in that moment existentially? Are we taking it all in? Are we looking at everything we've done and saying, wow, this is what I've accomplished and immersing yourself in that moment? Or are we just keep going on this hamster wheel of just doing this, doing that and not taking a moment to take a break, have a moment. Mm-hmm. You need that reprieve. And then. Also, in this climate, I I want to end by saying this is don't compare how you're coping to someone else. Mm. 
Because again, mm. what you're seeing on social media and things are what people choose to put out there. You don't know what's happening. So don't compare yourselves thinking that, well, other people seem to be dealing with this so much better than I am. Don't compare your journey to anyone else's during this time. Stop the comparing. That's a good word. That's a good word. Comparison is not needed. It's crippling. Don't compare. That's a good word. That's what pissed me off when we got the news about Chadwick Boseman. And I was devastated. But out trots the, well, no excuses. If he did this, then the other. No excuses for anyone else. Shut (sighs) up. Like... That's not, I don't think, that's not what he was trying to do. He was trying to live his life his way. Like. And then, mind you, with that, we, the man lived with this before. You don't know what his journey was. Exactly. (laughs) You don't, you you don't know what was going on. So, yeah, with that, I would just say, hush. Um, You know, again, people think they know people just because statements come out on social media. I don't know when social media became gospel um, to where Somewhere you can look it up around in the of people pretend I'm really trying to figure this out. Somewhere around 08. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real. I'm, I'm really trying to figure out when the comment section of a post became the truth and the light. I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out. Yeah. But I just feel like that's such it a toxic amazing. that's a toxic way to look at this situation as well. I'm not allowed to feel anymore. I gotta push through and make Black Panther right. for myself. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. And again, how people dealt with that, I mean, there was a lot of people saying, Why are y'all upset you never knew him? Get off me. Like why are you judging just because I'm emotionally, you know, responding to a man's death? Right. I didn't have to know him personally to be shook by that. Right. I mean, it, there's a lot of triggering factors. This type of thing triggers emotions in people who have family members who are sick. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was so young is triggering. Very there's triggering. a lot of things that come into play here that are that are just beyond the surface level if he was a celebrity. Right. You know, and and this this I keep saying this is my last thought, but I, that's a lie. Ah! During during this time though, empathy and mm. compassion. Can we get it back, please? I mean, I feel like we had one job to do during this timeout was to show more empathy and compassion for ourselves and others, and we are failing miserably. Can I tell you and, something? Yes, I don't think America, as we know it has ever had real empathy and compassion. That's why we're struggling so. I receive. I will receive. But it's it's more than America. As you can see, this this globally is, yeah. is something that is affecting everyone. And globally right now, just the compassion and grace for ourselves and for other people, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's essential right now. So, you know, if you're not directly affected by things that are going on in this world, counter blessings because that's not everyone's experience so be kind to those who handle things differently there's no rule book to any of this that's it there is no rule book no rule book (laughs) none (laughs) there is no rule book that's gonna be my new single yeah And and i get it like i think the idea of a rule book makes us feel comforted makes us feel yes like we got it, but the truth is that's not 
that's not a thing. What you it's can not. you can read how other people handled things in the past. That's great, but the internal work of your soul, you got to handle that yourself, and it may not follow the rule book. That's all. And, and, and we have to surrender and accept that. That's the thing of accepting and surrender things that are out of our control. As as frustrating and as infuriating as God that is knows. sometimes. Yes, it is. A, a lot of this is beyond our control. And we have to start reframing our thinking to understand that ain't nothing I can do about 90% of what's going on right now. So I have to accept that. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that. There has to be a moment of acceptance and surrender in that piece. But um, side note, when we're talking about songs, can we talk about Never Really Mattered? It's still my absolute Oh, favorite. goodness. And I sing it. I know the ad list. That, that's my song, okay? I Listen. When I tell you, thank I you. love <laughs> Thank you, thank oh you. God. One of these to days, I'm going to find someone and muster up the strength to go back in the studio. And and do a new that song. Is my jam. You know, once this. the world opens, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll find a way to get back in the booth. I hope you do because you ate that song then, and it still is lit now. And yeah, love it. Every time it comes on, I want to text you because I remember when it came. I used to do that all the time ah. and text you the <laughs> screenshot of like I'm listening again. I'm listening, I but know. I'm like I'm sure she's so tired of this. No, but no, yeah. I gotta listen. We'll talk offline about me and my singing. Okay. I gotta get okay. back on. I gotta I get. Just had to, I had to give you your flowers because I'm all about trying to give people flowers in that moment. And I just I... have to tell you when I tell you I love that song. Love it. I thank you. I thank you. I needed that boost because lately I've been like, am I supposed to sing it all? Anybody yes, care? you are. That needs to, I, I'm, I'm saying, I still, I wanted the chart. So I play it every day thinking like maybe the strings that I give it will give. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be on Billboard if I just play it enough. Girl, it's old now. I don't care. I, I, in, in my mind, like it's mainstream in my mind. I love that song. Love it. Thank you. I'm, that means love that it. really means the world to me. It does. Maybe I muster up I some strength it. to do another song sometime. Sometime, twenty twenty one. I'll, I'll whenever, as long as you do it. Ah. I'm about to listen to it as soon as we log off. I'm 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 putting it on. I love you. <laughs> You're wonderful. Putting it on. I love you more. You know this. I'm so glad we were able to have this chat, and I hope that it helps some people to know that it's okay, whatever you're experiencing and feeling. Uh, you're in good company. You're not alone. And, you know, we always encourage you to get help if you need, if you feel like you could use a little support, some extra talking, reach out to a therapist, reach out to Deetra. Well, she's booked, but try. But th- still reach out. ProtectYourPeaceTherapy.com. ProtectYourPeaceTherapy.com. And, of course, the and link then, will be in the box. The link will be in the description box. And then I just want to say, remember when I... Bye, we hang it up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the convo. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am.
All right, that's gonna do it for me this week. I uh, just wanna remind you, in preparation for our versus battle, that's Sunday the 13th, I wanna correct that because I said the 11th earlier and I looked it up. Um, on Sunday the 13th, we got Patty, we got Gladys, we got Legends. So I'm gonna be refreshing myself, I'm gonna be listening to some of their greats and getting ready for this battle. I would suggest all of you do the same. And uh, I do just want to thank Dietra for taking time out to talk to us about everything that we may be facing during this time. And just to remind you that you're not alone. If you do need help, if you need some references, I always say you can message me. Literally, I mean that. Email me at cocktailconvo7 at gmail.com. You can send me a voice memo. Uh, a really good resource is Therapy for Black Girls. There's a list, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Directory of different therapists that might be in your area. Um, but just take time out and seek help if you need it. If you just need to talk. This ain't regular times, baby. Trust me, you may need an extra hand to hold, even if it's a virtual hand. I love you, babes. Have a great week. We'll chat soon. Mwah.